Hey everyone, Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons with your weekly pre-show announcements. First up, a shout-out. This one comes from YouTube commenter Zoe Burnham. And I don't know whether it's Zoe or Zoe, so I'm going to say Zoe Zoe. And so that way I'm 100% certain to be 50% right and 50% wrong. From a recent Batman Hush episode, Zoe Zoe says simply, How do I get a shout-out? That's a great question. You can either leave a comment on one of our episodes, as you've already done, subscribe to our Patreon tier that gets you a guaranteed shout-out on each and every episode, send us an email at saturdaymorningcartoons at gmail.com, and remember, that's morning with a U, or call the cartoon hotline at 202-681-4406, or you can leave us a cartoon suggestion there, and we are legally obligated to cover it on the show. It's a win-win. On today's show, I'm flying solo to talk about Season 3 of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Sean and some special guests reviewed the show on a recent episode, but with a brand new season comes many more things to talk about. And I've brought some special guests of my own to talk about She-Ra. But to find out who they are, you'll have to keep listening. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider weekly podcast for all things animation, including news, reviews, and interviews. I'll be your host, Dave Trumbor, and I am flying solo today because Sean has been banished to the Crimson Waste. In the meantime, I'll be bringing you the latest news from this week in animation before jumping into my review of DreamWorks' She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Season 3 of which just arrived on Netflix. And as a special treat, we have a pair of interviews from the show for you. First up is Marcus Scribner, who plays everyone's favorite tech expert, archer, and all-around best friend, Bo. Then, we'll be chatting with showrunner and creator Noelle Stevenson about the new season and her plans for the story going forward. But first, the news. Not much going on in the world of animation this week, but if you're a fan of Dan Harmon, you might be interested to know that Harmon Quest Season 3 will be returning to Verve starting Sunday, August 18th. New episodes will air every Sunday exclusively on Verve and will run for a total of 10 episodes. If you're not familiar with Harmon Quest, it's a series that blends live action and animation in a hilarious fashion. Basically, each of the episodes sees Game Master Spencer Crittenden overseeing a fantasy RPG campaign played by Dan Harmon, Aaron McGathy, and Jeff Davis, as well as a special guest, which is then animated to match the live action portion of the show. And it's fantastic. And so is Verve, which is a multi-channel streaming platform that has things like Crunchyroll, Rooster Teeth, Cartoon Hangover, Boomerang, Shudder, and more for a steal of a deal. And they're not a sponsor, we just love them. Elsewhere in news, Disney's photorealistic redo of The Lion King easily crossed the $1 billion mark worldwide, which makes us very, very sad. But that's like a, that's about it, so we're going to jump into our review of uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power Season 3 right now. But before I get into the review, it's my absolute pleasure to hand the mic over to Bobby Anthem, who's going to tell you just what this new season is all about. Season 3 of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power finds Adora learning that many things in her past are not what they seem, leading her to embark on a journey of discovery to the desolate Crimson Waste where she meets Huntara. Punished by Hordak for Shadow Weaver's escape, Catra and Scorpia also find themselves sent to this land of cutthroats and criminals on a mission to aid Hordak and Entrapta's master plan. Feeling pushed aside, Catra will stop at nothing to bring Adora and the Princess Alliance down as the fate of Etheria hangs in the balance. Honestly, didn't that just sound so much more epic with Bobby Anthem reading it? Uh, to be fair, the show itself is pretty epic in nature, and though Season 3 only has six episodes, they do pack a lot of story into it. Like, a lot. 
I'll be discussing some spoilers here, so if you haven't had a chance to check out the new season yet, you might want to tune out now. If you skip to about the halfway point of this episode, you'll hear from Marcus and Noel, so if you just want to jump ahead to the interviews, feel free to do that too. This season finds Adora and Catra on a collision course as they both head to the Crimson Waste in search of something. For Adora, it's answers to her origin story, the secret of her powerful sword that allows her to transform into She-Ra, and to find out whether or not she really has what it takes to be a hero. This journey may be kicked off by the sudden arrival of Shadow Weaver right in the beginning, but it's changed in a big way by the arrival of Hantara. Katra, on the other hand, has a chance to escape Hordak's prison cells thanks to Scorpia, but she chooses to face her punishment head-on instead. It seems like she's kind of given up at this point, but in true Katra spirit, her bold defiance actually gives her another lease on life. She gets banished to the Crimson Waste instead of being executed, and normally this is a death sentence, but she actually manages to thrive in the lawless land. Now, while it was cool seeing this new version of Huntara and characters like Tongue Lasher and the Lizard People, who come directly from the original series, and we may or may not happen to have all of those uh, action figures right now, uh, it's really the last two episodes of this season that are the strength here. We get a ton of lore and mythology reveals that I'm not going to go into here because they're a lot of fun to really check out for yourselves, but we also get an alternate version of what Etheria could have become. For some people, it's kind of an ideal version of what Etheria could have been. We also get a final teaser of where the show is going to go from here in future seasons, but I can't really say too much about that because we honestly don't know. Uh, I do ask Noelle about it at the end of our interview, so if you want a little teaser on what's to come, you're going to have to listen through her interview all the way to the end. I can't say enough about she so it should suffice to say that you should check out Season 3 ASAP. But that's enough for me. I'm sure you want to hear the people who are actually involved with the show and what they have to say about it. So let's get to some interviews. Uh, as a quick technical note on these interviews, they were done remotely over the phone, so there may be some audio issues every once in a while. Sean has done his best to make my tin can of a phone recorder sound as magical as possible for you all, but there may be a couple of blips here and there. With that out of the way, first up is my chat with Marcus Scribner, better known as Bo. Well, I wanted to ask you how your uh, recent Comic-Con experience was. I think this is the first time that She-Ra actually gets to uh, participate at that event, so what was that like for you? Uh, it was it was insane. It was for me. It was my first Comic Con in general. Yeah. We got to in with Shiro. We got to do like a huge panel and everything, and talk to everybody. It was uh, it was amazing. Um, and I'm a huge nerd and geek, so walking down uh, through the Comic Con floor was insane. And we got to see um, Shira slash Mattel booth uh, with the giant um, Adora Shira uh, statue, which was crazy because there was one in New York Comic Con. And then there's a completely different one in for San Diego Comic Con. I just thought it was super cool. And we got two unique statues, um, so it was a it, it was a lot of fun. It was a it was a great time. Did you have any crazy kind of like either fan interactions or things that you saw, whether it be cosplay or just or just uh, you know fan art things like that? Always. Anytime seeing uh, all the cosplays, people who come out to, to support us is amazing. Um, our hall was filled for um, for our panel, and there were just so many different unique cosplays. I, I, any bow cosplay that I saw, um, I took a moment to take a picture with them because uh, I just want to collect that for my archive because it's still so unreal to me. People are dressing up as a character that I've played. Um, that was just amazing. And I had a lot of interactions. A lot of people... Um, had us shout their family members who couldn't be there out, like we were going through a, our little uh, 
poster signing, which is amazing. People telling us how much um, of a positive impact Sheila has had on their lives, inspired them um, to be themselves and to do, uh, to do better in their lives. So it was just, it was an amazing turnout and experience. Always nice to hear the positive support from the fans. Absolutely. And in a more general sense, how's the fan reaction been to Bo specifically? I mean, we've had, you know, they're going to have three seasons now. So how's that uh, reaction been for you? Oh, it's been, a, it's been amazing. Um, people love Bo. He's very, uh, he's a very sweet, supportive character. And I don't think we see that a lot in male characters um, on television and specifically in animation. Um, he really lets Adora and Glimmer all the rest of the princesses of power take their spots as the um, as the leaders of the group and he's there as the, the tech support or the ranged archer support or whatever he needs his more physical talent. So um, people have have uh, had a very positive response to Bo and also he's just like the moral binding of the group. He um, whenever anybody else is down, Bo is always there to help pick them up. And I feel like a lot of people identify with a character like that um, who's always trying to help but maybe he doesn't look out for themselves. Um, so it's going to be kind of cool to see more of that in season three, and I know a lot of people are excited about that. So. Yeah, would you say Bo is kind of the, he could be described as the sort of the conscience of the group, or definitely the kind of a cheerleader too? Is that how you see him? Yeah, I would definitely say he's right at the cross-section of both of those, because I, I wouldn't say particularly the conscience of the group, because uh, Bo's got a one-track mind, um, and that's just positivity and uh, hoping that his friends uh, do the, the best that they can. Um, but he's definitely, he's definitely the, the more supportive cheerleader and uh, always wanting everybody to do better and lifting everyone up around him with his spirit and his energy. So um, cheerleader would be a good word to describe. And you mentioned that uh, he's kind of, you know, one of very few male characters on the show, which is kind of rare, whether it's animation yeah. or anything on TV. So what's it like for you to be one yeah. of a uh, few male actors surrounded by all these talented women in the cast and crew and also to play one of the few male characters on the show? What's that been like? Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's something... It, it's honestly it's something that you don't see often on television. You don't see in animation specifically. Um, but I think it's a super important role. But Bo, just as a character, I feel like there's, there are only really uh, a couple main supporting uh, male characters in, in She-Ra. Uh, there's Bo, there's Seahawk, um, Hordak being the, the villain, and then we have... Um, Trying to think of some other people. We got Kyle sliced in there a little bit. <laughs> right. Um, it's very, so there's very few, which is not often uh, seen. So it's a mainly female cast and um, female-led uh, driven narrative, um, which I feel like is extremely exciting. Bo obviously is a, is a supporting character in this narrative. Um, and he's there to lift up all of his, uh, his female leads, which is, I, I feel like something is, he's a positive role model for a lot of boys out there, um, teaching them how to, how women should be treated, and uh, yeah. Absolutely, and it's great being able to watch, you know, I grew up with the originals, and being able to see how everything's kind of yeah. evolved and morphed to this more contemporary time, but last season we got to meet uh, Bo's family, so we got to see a lot more male characters. We got to see his two dads, and some of his, you know, he has 12 older brothers, from what we've heard. 
How does Bo's family maybe? Yeah. How does maybe uh, his family compare to yours? Family dynamic, kind of uh, upbringing and things like that. How does that compare to yours personally? Um, personally, very different because um, I feel like I've always definitely had the support of my family, whereas Bo's parents don't um, support him completely in, in his dreams and, and, and where he wants to do. Like they always told him that he has to be a historian, he has to follow in the path that they decided for him. But Bo doesn't want to do that. So um, I was very proud of the fact that um, he comes around at the end and he tells them what, what he wants to do. Um, and they're like, okay, and they're there to support him. And I feel like it's definitely a weight off of Bo's shoulders. So I'm excited to see um, how he finds that newfound confidence and how he utilizes that further in season three. Definitely. And, and uh, launching off of that, in season three, this is getting into a little bit of spoiler territory for our listeners out there, but we can talk about it a little bit. Um, in one episode, we get to see kind of uh, an alternate version of Etheria, maybe an ideal version for some of the characters in the show. And it, it features Bo in kind of a different um, a different stance, a different um, setting. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get to show off and be his kind of warrior adventurer self. He's more of that historian role. So what do you think maybe both yeah. ideal world would look like? Is it this alternate version or is it the one that we, we get to see through most of his adventures or something else? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, I definitely, I don't think it's that alternate reality version. I think that's uh, honestly the opposite of what Bo wants. That, that would be more of uh, Micah. His, I mean, I'm mean, not Micah. His, his parents, um, I just confused Glimmer's parents with those parents. But that'd be more, more of what um, <clears throat> those parents would want for him. Right. Um, is for him to be a, a historian and stay out of danger and to, um, <clears throat> and to really just uh, dig into the book. But uh, Bo likes being on the front lines. He likes being there for his friends and comrades, um, not through intellectual support, but through actual uh, physically being there. So I think the world that he's currently living in is exactly where he wants to be, um, despite the evil horde, uh, <laughs> despite the evil horde doing um, horrible things to Ethereum. <laughs> right. Um, so, Bo, you, you mentioned he's a supporting character, but I love the fact that we get to see into his uh, his life a little bit. We get to meet his family. Do you know or do you hope yeah. that we get to um, see more of his family maybe in future episodes? Huh, uh, I do not want to give away that spoiler. Fair enough. So, Is that something you'd like we'll, to see we'll personally? See or what would you like to see for oh, Bo I would in love the future? Yeah. I would love to see those other family members, maybe um, some both siblings. Maybe he's got a sibling named Sword who uses a sword. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. He can have all kinds of things. He's got 12 brothers out there. There could be all kinds yeah. of different weapons or, or who knows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that Noel maybe teased for you and for Bo in the future that you're anxious to check out? Or are there any like... Maybe there's some major questions um, that you have for her that she hasn't, uh, she, she's just kind of teased or hasn't told you yet. One of my favorite things is, <clears throat> I'm excited for everyone to see season three because it's definitely a character switch up um, for Bo. So um, that, that's something that I was really, that Noel had teased for a little bit and I actually got to perform it and I was like, whoa, this is very different. It was a lot of fun, um, but it's just a departure from Bo's normal personality and uh, the drives. Just everybody gets thrown out of whack. 
Um, so it's I'm I'm really pumped for people to see this upcoming season because I don't think people really expect uh, expect what's going to happen. So. Absolutely. Uh, you also name dropped Seahawk earlier. I obviously have to ask you uh, about Seahawk. Do you do you think there's a future for Bo and Seahawks adventures? Are they going to be able to go off together again and get into some more, uh, you know, have some more adventures in the future? Do you hope? I I pray to be able to sing plenty more shanties with Seahawk. <laughs> um, I know Bo is one of Bo's favorite. His, his Seahawk is definitely his top. It, it, I feel like it's it crapped up. Um, Seahawk. I'm trying to think of some other people, but I feel like Entrapped and Seahawk are like those idols. Um, so I'm hoping that we get some more faux Seahawk adventures in the future. Would you be up for a musical episode if they ever opted to do something crazy like that? Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to put um, that out there, yeah. If, they, if, they, if we... If if it came out, of course. Like I was saying, the, the sea shanties are obviously like some of the most exciting portions of the show. The the pirate moment. Right. So, um, I would love to do a musical episode. Absolutely, I'll ask Noel about that later. And if it's not out in the it's not in the works yet, we'll see if we can get it get it moving. Dave here again. Thank you so much, Marcus. Now, before I get to my chat with showrunner and creator Noel Stevenson, I want to drop a little bonus trivia here. During the recording, we talked a bit about the new character, Huntara, as played by Gina Davis. Unfortunately, my recorder fritzed out, so what you didn't get to hear was Noelle talking about going back to the source material of the original series in order to reimagine the character. She said that Huntara was a favorite across the board among the writing team, and she even had a cult following among the crew. And they, like we do, had their own action figures as well. That's about all you missed, so now, here's Noelle. I talked to Marcus about this, but how was your first Comic-Con experience bringing She-Ra to the event? Oh, my God. I mean, so I have been going to Comic-Con for about, I think, about seven years now. And I started out as an intern um, and at a comic booth. And, you know, I remember I was 20 years old, and I got to Comic-Con, and I just had stars in my eyes. I was so, everything was so excited. There was just this amazing energy. And coming with She-Ra and getting the chance to kind of, you know, see everybody who showed up for the panel, everyone in costume, seeing the toys, seeing the fashion shows, seeing people dressed up. Uh, it just, it's like that feeling of excitement. It's, it just, it feels exactly the same way as it did where I'm, I'm just like, oh my God, this is just amazing. This is just so exciting. Like, and to feel that way, you know, seven years after my first Comic-Con and, and now be there with my own, you know, with my own show like this, it's, uh, I, I can't even describe it. It was incredible. It was uh, the, the best experience. And speaking of toys, I think recently on your, on your, uh, Twitter, you were sharing some of the new toys that had come out and just like being excited over the fact that there are toys. Like you actually yeah. got to be a part of something with toys. So, how has the last year, I mean, that just being part of it, how has the last year kind of changed for you uh, getting to see the fan reaction and, and how much everybody's embraced the show? What's that been like? For me, it's just, you know, because I've been working on this show for quite a while, um, and to see people get to share in, you know, these stories that, that me and my whole crew have worked so hard on and, and poured our hearts into in so many ways, and these characters that we've sort of, you know, put little pieces of ourselves into, seeing people, you know, 
respond to that and see themselves in the characters and in the world and having it inspire them in different ways. That's been, I think, like, it's just, it's why we do this, you know, and and it's been just the most profound experience. I, I really can't even put into words how important it's been to me. Um, I, I feel so, so lucky um, that I get to be in this position and that, you know, we have gotten the response that we've gotten. It's it's incredible. And I think season three, when that comes out and everybody is able to see that this weekend, that's going to continue that trend, I think. is a really strong season. Um, I had an absolute blast watching it. And I love each and every character in the show, but I really need to talk about Huntara. <laughs> <for a minute. laughs> um, so first of all, how great is Gina Davis? And what was that experience like working and getting her and then working with her? Oh my God. So I, I actually have like, um, with my fiance, we have matching heart necklaces with say Thelma and Louise. So to say that Gina Davis is, you know, a hero of mine would be an understatement. Um, and getting to be in a room with her, let alone getting to work with her on this show is just a dream come true. Um, and it's, She's so amazing. She's so kind, um, and she's so funny, and she's so awesome, and and just like just she's she just so much power radiates off of her. She's just like so inspirational. So, I mean, it was definitely you know one of my career highlights so far. Getting able to you know direct her as Huntara, um, yeah, and so like she's just yeah. Um, she taught me archery stances when she first came in for her first record. I think the second record she came to, she had like diamonds in her pocket because it had been like the Golden Globes the night before. The night before, it's like it's I it's amazing. I love it. All that, <laughs> that kind of like presence and energy comes through uh, with Hantaro too, which is great. Will we maybe see more of this character in the future? Is there anything that you can kind of tease for uh, new fans of this new creation of the character? Uh, yes, you will definitely see Huntara again. Awesome. Uh, that's all I can say right now. Fair enough. Uh, actually, for a, for a personal question, uh, I like I love the little uh, interactions, unspoken interactions in the scene between Huntara and the bartender. There's great mm-hmm. little flourishes in there. So for me, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that or any kind of relationships in the future too. So I think a lot of fans yeah. out there feel the same way. Um, totally. <laughs> I love those little flourishes of animation, though, where it was stuff that wasn't directly connected to the conversation, maybe. So, like, if Bo's tracker pad was on the fritz, it had the little, like, 404 image of, like, <laughs> his little face or, uh, just, I don't know, just, like, so many little touches of animation. And that's not even really a question that I have. I just wanted to, to <laughs> mention that I, I really appreciated how much attention to detail yeah. the team puts. Well, out. I will say that both of those are actually, uh, they weren't in the script. They came from the board artists. Oh, cool. So uh, our board artists are so incredible and they have such a great grasp of character that they do add these little touches here and there that just really define the characters. And they just, you know, our board artists are our master storytellers. So I think both of those, uh, both of those little touches that you mentioned were from uh, Diana Ha, who's one of our board artists. So I think those both came from her. That's awesome. And there's so many of those throughout that you can go back and just kind of watch the, the episodes again, and you'll notice That's different awesome. things each time. So I love that. Switching gears a little bit. So Shira has, in my personal opinion, one of the best written and developed villains ever on TV. I absolutely love watching the arcs for uh, Catra. I almost, to be honest, I almost enjoy watching the Catra uh, arcs and moments more than kind of our traditional <laughs> heroes of the story. 
But do you find it easier to break story for Catra or Adora? And what are the kind of what's easy and what's difficult about each of those characters? You know, I think between Adora and Catra, um, and Glimmer, honestly, for me, I, they're all characters that I relate to very strongly. I think all of them are characters who kind of wrestle with the darkness and the light in themselves. There's something that is so freeing about writing a villain, because, you know, Adora is someone, I, I think I, I do relate to Adora's constant anxiety that she's not doing enough or not succeeding at what she uh, is trying to be um, and, and her fear that she's failing. Um, it is, she is someone who, you know, as a hero, I think she's always trying not to express things that are her basest instincts. You know, she's trying very hard to distance herself from those things. So while she struggles with them, she doesn't express them the same way that Catra does. And I think Catra just, like, again, especially when you're writing female characters, it's very, it's not very often that you get a chance to write a character who just expresses their emotions in this way that does express their sort of worst impulse is they're you know showing the darkness in themselves in that way and and I think that there's something really really freeing about that I think we all relate to Katra so much like she's this part of I would say most people or everybody that you know does want to you know kind of scream and destroy and and make people see you and make people you know try to show your power and your strength and just make people acknowledge that. And so I think that there's, for me, I've always loved writing villains because they get to express that in a way that the heroes are often discouraged from. Um, so there's a lot of different, you know, just, uh, shades of that in all the characters that we, we love exploring, but I think the reason that Katra, you know, she lands so thoroughly with so many people is that I think everybody has that, you know, that darkness in them that they want to express in some way. And I think Katra gives us the feeling of doing that, and we, and we want to see kind of what it would look like to actually express those feelings. Um, and, you know, I think we're all rooting for her. You know, she's a, she's a terribly complex character, She's she's uh, she's at war with herself and honestly with everyone else. Um, and she just you know she picks fights to make herself feel better. She she pushes people away. She is constantly digging her hole deeper. She's in a cage with you know the door opened, but she won't leave. She'll just fight anyone who tries to come in. So it's like I think in so many ways we all have a little bit of that in ourselves, and to get to actually explore that through Catra is just very satisfying. Yeah, and you alluded a little bit to that some of the most maybe some of the most fun parts to write for a villain is not only getting to dig into all that kind of dark stuff, the, the darker side of, of humanity or personality, but maybe even give them a redemption arc at the end too, because that's a nice thing to see from beginning to end, to see if you can actually pull them back from the precipice. Uh, in season three, we kind of get to see so far, Catra and Adora have kind of been trying to work things out in their own particular way. But at the end of season three, we kind of see a fairly definitive moment between the two where it seems like they're now kind of diametrically opposed going in opposite directions. Can you, can you tease yeah. kind of the future of what that relationship looks like in seasons to come, even in broad terms? 
I think that, you know, for Ketra in season one, she um, she did her best to let go of Adora, to kind of push Adora away and start her life again free of Adora. I think that she's been relatively <laughs> unsuccessful at doing that um, because she's Ketra and she still is wrestling with all of those same feelings. She didn't make a clean break. Um, but we see that Adora is still, she's very much at war with herself because she's still, like, I think she's blaming herself for everything that happened to Katra, for Katra becoming more of a villain. Adora is, is wrestling with the guilt of not being able to save Katra, of not being able to convince Katra to join the side of good, to do the right thing. And I think that there's this moment where, you know, Katra's just been nursing this broken heart and she won't let anybody kind of she won't open up to anybody. She's not interested in actually fixing it. She just wants to stay angry and to just stew in her anger and to hurt everybody else as much as she was hurt. And there comes this moment where she reaches that line in the sand where, you know, she can do the right thing. She can, she can stop. She can take a step back. She could choose a future for herself where she could be happy but maybe not get revenge and she can't do it and she crosses that line and I think that like you know it's not an accident that like you know the episode after that is throwing her and Adora back to the last time they can remember when things were simple and things made sense and they were happy and we also see how you know they can't that's not going to work. They can't hide from what they've become. And I think that Adora, she finally accepts that, you know, she has to stop Katra. She can't just keep letting Katra get away with everything and hurt her and hurt other people. She has to stop her from getting worse. So I think it is the moment when they truly see each other as, you know, their enemy for the first time. That's a great answer. Before I run out of time with you, uh, on a lighter note, I talked to uh, Marcus earlier today, and he mentioned he loved doing the sea shanties uh, as Bo <laughs> with uh, with Seahawk. What are the chances for maybe more sea shanties in the future? And uh, reaching for the stars here, what are the odds of a maybe musical episode coming up in the future? I think that you're just going to have to wait and see what we do with the show. Uh, that's become a very popular question. Um, and yeah, I would say just stay tuned. Um, I will say that Marcus is, I, I love making Marcus sing. So uh, just stay tuned. Fantastic. Uh, with the very last scene uh, in this, in this uh, season, I'm not going to talk spoilers too much. I want to give people a chance mm-hmm. to check it out. We get a reveal of not just a character, but kind of a, a location, let's say. Have we seen that location before? Are we supposed to know that location, or is that something that's going to be revealed in future seasons? Um, I think the scene that you're referring to is more uh, that there is, you know, the story has been localized to Assyria so far through this season, uh, through all these seasons, Um, and and that's more, you know, there's a lot more to this story. There is a much bigger world that they have not had access to up until this point, and now that 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 bigger world kind of knows they're there. So it's a little bit more of just an ominous, uh, you know, a crap moment. That definitely came across and that was a fantastic way to end it. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. A big thanks once again to both Marcus Scribner and Noel Stevenson from She-Ra, as well as the teams at DreamWorks and Netflix for giving us the access to the uh, creative team for this podcast. And as a special shout out, uh, I'd like to say thanks again to Sean for all the magic he works behind the scenes as well as to Bobby Anthem for just being straight-up magical at life. 
If you want to catch up with Bobby, you can do so by following along with his paranormal podcast called Inhuman Experience, along with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. Bobby also has a solo show called In Search of My Lost Soul. Both of those shows are available on their Mixler channel. You can find the links in our notes below. You can follow along with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. He also performs live improv comedy in the D.C. area with a group called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. You can find tickets and times at witdc.org. As for me, you can always find me at Collider.com or on Twitter at DrClawMD. And for more Morning Tunes, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's Morning with a U. And on Facebook and Instagram at Saturday Morning Cartoons. You can also check out the Collider Weekly Podcast for new episodes each and every week. And you can find those episodes pretty much everywhere that podcasts exist on this good earth of ours. Including YouTube, Podbean, Stitcher, all kinds of stuff. You guys know how to internet. You've been doing the internet for a long time. You got this. Next time on Saturday Morning Cartoons, we'll be catching up with an old Nicktoons pal to see if things have gotten any better for the Wallaby now that he has a Netflix movie. That's right, we'll be reviewing Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling and speaking with the creator of Rocco himself, Joe Murray. It's sure to be a very dangerous day, so we hope you join us. Until then, this has been Saturday Morning Cartoons, and we will see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.